0: You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Almighty God, give us grace to cast away the works of darkness and put on the armor of life. Now in the time of this mortal life in which your Son, Jesus Christ, came to visit us in great humility, that in the last day, when we shall come again in his glorious majesty to judge both the living and the dead, we may rise to the life immortal, through him who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. So why on the fourth Sunday of Advent are we taking a look at the collect for Advent one? Well, the reason is that Thomas Cranmer who put together the first Book of Common Prayer way back in the sixteenth century, he said that this collect should be prayed throughout England every day of Advent. So it's one of the it's the collect for the first Sunday of Advent, but it's also, according to him anyway, the collect he wanted, the prayer he wanted people to read throughout the season. Notice a lot of us tend to think of Advent as simply a preparation for Christmas for Jesus' first coming, his first Advent. If you notice, this prayer includes both. Jesus Christ came to visit us in great humility and in the last day when he shall come again in glorious majesty to judge both the living and the dead. So, as I've been trying to emphasize in every sermon I've preached during this season, Advent really is like you see in your nave. There are two stained glass windows. There's the stained glass window of the nativity story, and there's the stained glass window of Jesus coming again. It's right in the very front. The people who put those stained glass windows knew what they were doing. This is the church of the Advent. and the Advent season, we look backward, but we also look forward. And what's interesting is, historically, Advent has been more a season of looking forward than backward. We've kind of reversed it in the last two centuries, but... That's just historically how it's looked. Sidebar, uh, I've not looked into this, but I would like to. But I wonder if the painting in the center of Jesus breaking communion with his disciples is kind of this, it's what we're supposed to do in between his Advents, his first and second coming, where you and I are situated. What do we do? We break bread together. We gather together. We give bread away together. That's a sidebar, but someone can look into that and tell me, but that's my working theory right now. So what are we praying for in this prayer? In colics, there's a a specific form. Uh, There's the address. Who are we addressing? We're addressing Almighty God. By saying Almighty, we're talking about a characteristic of God. We're we're praying to the all-powerful God. Why do we so often in these colics pray to the all-powerful God? Because we're asking him to do something for us that we can't do ourselves so all-powerful God we've are acknowledging the limits of human potential limits of what we're able to do it's why we ask for what we ask for because we can't do it so we ask for the grace the gift to cast away the works of darkness and to put on the armor of light notice there's something for us to do here cast away the works of darkness put on the armor of light. But while we're acknowledging this is what we're to do, we're saying, hey, give us the grace to do this or we're just not going to be able to do it. I'm so bent in on myself, I'm so naturally into the works of darkness, unfortunately, that I need you to gift me the ability to do that thing that I can't do on my own. Now. If any of you know Paul's letters pretty well, this, this prayer, this casting away the works of darkness, putting on the armor of light is a direct, it's a quote from a Pauline epistle. So this isn't just something that while Thomas Kramer puts it together, he makes up out of thin air. No, he is calling us to pray for what the apostle wanted us to pray for, wanted us to do. Cast away the works of darkness, put on the armor of light what does that look like? A second ago we said, in between Christ's Advent, what do we do? We share Holy Communion together. We meet, we gather, we give food to those who do not have food. Uh, an example that Fleming Rutledge talks about, um, and you know, she's my hero, Beyonce of Anglicanism, I have said that before, but we hear throughout Advent to be watchful, uh, to to wait, to be active. In fact, I think it's the same thing in the nave, but in the refectory service, the opening sentence was that exact thing. Help us be watchful. Help us to be sober. Help us to, to wait. Notice a whole lot of that is actually pretty passive, right? Which I think is a good word for Americans like me. I'm a good old fashioned American boy who just like, tell me what to do and I'll go do it. But so often isn't life like that. There's just, we're not in control we don't have the power Uh, it's not that we don't have any agency but there's a whole lot of life where we don't have the control and we don't like it I don't like it so a lot of what we're to do in between events is to wait to watch of course we're to be active as well but a whole lot of the parables talk about us being watchmen at the gates Uh, a whole lot of it is the, the bridesmaid who are to wait for the coming of their lord which i think is in addition to it being a good thing for us to be active but the christian tradition has also talked about being contemplative to being patient maybe not rushing the gun um, also you know for those of us alive today with streaming available at any time my phone whenever i have a moment of what close comes close to boredom i've got to be on it there is something to being still so now, Fleming Rutledge, am getting to what I was trying to say earlier, she gives this example of a news story where people were being watchful. And uh, this was a couple of years ago. There was a community in the Northeast where potentially one Jewish family in the midst of a largely Christian or, or, or nuns kind of environment, they had a menorah in their window and their house was vandalized. Uh, somebody broke into the house, broke the menorah, put a swastika on the house. Kind of terrible thing, right? What casting away the works of darkness might look like, according to Fleming, is that in the story, the story wasn't so much about that. The story was about the fact that all the neighbors on the block in the next few days put menorahs in their windows and it was a sense of solidarity. Either in their windows or on their front lawn, uh, and here we we have it's it's something that isn't necessarily going to change the world, so to speak, but it's a beachhead in the midst of what Saint Paul calls this present evil age. So I mean, there are a whole lot of examples that you might come up in with, but here's one where it's it's not necessarily this I've got to do a remarkable thing that changes the world now. If I could do that, that'd be awesome. But a whole lot of times that's about my ego and not really changing the world for the better. But here's something where we're kind of watching, waiting, breaking bread together. Uh, you know, the the people who, you know, the adage oftentimes is whenever you draw a line between us and them, we find Jesus on the other side. And here, this family, they're, they're othered. And we go across the line to them. I think in our day and age, or uh, today, I mean, the, the political situation is so fraught and so polarized that maybe instead of tweeting out that thing that adds to the noise, I find someone who's either on the other side or, or whatever that looks like and start a relationship or I mean, you, you fill in the blank. In this colic, there's a, a presentness to it We're asking right now, give us grace to cast away the works of darkness, the work of sin and death that unfortunately is all around us, that unfortunately we participate in, and to put on the armor of light, this light that has come into the world and conquered the darkness in Christ. So we're asking, yeah, now in the time of this mortal life in which your son came to visit us in great humility. So, yeah. Yeah. We're talking about the character of God. We're asking for the gift of an ability to do that which doesn't necessarily come natural to us. Um, And we're saying, we're acknowledging the first advent. You came to us in our mortal state, visited us as a helpless babe, right? Uh, It's acknowledging our situation. Um, That in the last day, again, fast-forwarding to where we're looking at least hopefully primarily to now when he shall come again in his glorious majesty to judge both the living and the dead we may rise to the life immortal. So what are we we asking for? Well, once again, um, what do we mean when we say cast away the works of darkness, put on the armor of light? I think it can mean a lot of things. It's purposefully, you know, we all want a blueprint but this is something we pray about, we meditate about and In our lived reality, our everyday realities, we find ourselves in these situations. Now, I don't think that that's a cause for fear or am I doing enough right now? What should I be doing? Uh, I think we really get an awesome illustration of what this means, of what it looks like breaking bread together in the movie Frozen 2. So a movie that all of your kids have seen um, that I had not seen, but somebody told me about it and then I went and had to see it. Um, but again, if we're focusing in on uh, maybe what we can control, or the not very dramatic, the very practical, uh, in the movie there's a song called, Do the Next Right Thing. Maybe you've heard your kids sing it, but uh, Kristen Bell, who is in The Good Place, who's also uh, the voice of one of the Frozen characters, she says this. And I, it's simple, but I think it's helpful. Uh, in the midst of like, all right, well, what do we, what do we do? A lot of people feel that feeling, she says. What do I do when I don't know what to do? My personal mantra is that you just do the next right thing. It also stems from when I am experiencing anxiety and depression. What do I do when I don't get uh, to do the thing I, or, sorry. What do I do when I don't want to get out of bed the next morning? You just do the next right thing, and that's stepping out of bed. The next right thing is, and she's mentioning this to kids, brushing your teeth. The next right thing is eating your breakfast. The next right thing is looking at your calendar and going to work. And now while that might seem like it's just for kids, if you've ever struggled with depression or debilitating anxiety uh, or just lived reality, sometimes getting out of bed is the hardest thing sometimes just going and brushing your teeth feels like the biggest chore. Um, But what I think she gets, and and really doing the next right thing must have been stolen from the AA world. That one foot in front of another thing. Which, I mean, the the spiritual creator of the, the 12 Steps actually went to the church I used to serve at in New York way back in the day and really talks about how this faith is what essentially helped him create how he created the 12 steps. But yeah, I think that that's part of what it means to be in this Advent season, casting away the works of darkness, putting on the armor of light. Again, the emphasis is not on our ability to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and do this on our own. We're asking for the grace to be able to do this. And so often it's not some major project oftentimes it's in the midst of this present evil age in the midst of us being still captive to the powers of sin and death it's doing the next right thing Uh, for me anyway that that gives me a lot of turns turns the temperature down puts the pressure off um again it's it's not that we can't do anything um But the emphasis of the collect in the season is that you and I, we cannot make right what has gone wrong. And yet, we're called to participate in what God is doing. So it's kind of a circle, right? Even in our participation of what God is doing, we are asking God to give us that very thing. Uh, And when we get out of the cerebralness of all that, which I love to be in that space, a whole lot of the time it really just involves what do I do today? I break bread, go to church, I do the next right thing. Now, the reason why I want to talk about, make the emphasis on what God is doing, because that is definitely the Advent emphasis. Um, In the, the past few weeks, we've read readings that say in Isaiah, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. That kind of prayer of the Old Testament is that we can't help ourselves. We are helpless without the inbreaking of the Spirit. We are helpless without the Incarnation. We are helpless without Him coming again. We are helpless without, in the midst of being in between times, resurrection happening in our lives. Another passage all of our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. Um, so it's that acknowledgement that even when we are doing the next right thing, it's the emphasis is on God is the one who makes us right with him. God is the one who makes a way out of no way. I think it helps us to, to really think about it. Yes, one foot in front of the other in the midst of the daily grind of our lives. Um, Paul Zoll, who, former dean of this church, He has a book on the collects. and what he says is that the way he reads this collect is that this present life is an incubator. It's an internship for the life that is to come that this collect talks about. And if we think of it as an incubator, as an internship for the life where sin and death are once and for all dealt with. It takes the pressure off of where we're at right now. Uh, It calms down the temperature. And it might even help us when we, because so often we have this internal desire to change the world, and yet we come up against the world or we come up against our limitation and we're bummed out. Uh, What he says is thinking about this life as an incubator, as an internship, might be the healthiest thing, because well, one we might it might not all be about our ego, and again, it's that one foot in front of the other. And then finally, if he is coming again in glorious majesty to judge both the living and the dead, and we are to rise to the life immortal, um, what a lot of people who've analyzed this collect have said is that all of those small decisions we make, all of those putting one foot in front of the other, all the doing the next right thing. While some of these things that we do may seem insignificant and other times they might seem in vain, right? We're working towards something good and then all that work seems like it's for naught. Um, What these commentators say is that this notion of rising to the life of mortal means that nothing that we do is in vain, that it's all caught up somehow in what God is doing and what God is gifting us. Uh, And so those, yeah, things like giving something to someone in need, um, the little decisions we make day in and day out are rendered significant in light of the end of where we'll be. Does anything stick out to you in this collect or anything, whether it's in the words of the collect or things I'm saying, question, comment, anything at all. Once again, this is the prayer. Thomas Cranmer wanted Anglicans, Episcopalians, to pray every day of Advent, and I'm not saying uh, you have to do that, but that's the significance of this collect. Um, none of this is something we do really alone. In both of them, you know, daily visitation, mm-hmm. um, in a mansion, you don't live in that by yourself unless it's kind of like a horror movie. Um, this is all something you do with other people because we don't function very well when we're all by ourselves. Yeah, I mean, again, like, what is it where... I think sometimes when we read these prayers, we get a little afraid because we're like, well, my conscience is definitely not purified or, you know, I mean, I'm like sleepwalking through life. I'm not casting away the works of darkness or or putting on something. But I think that what we have to remember is that it's a prayer. We are asking for something that we don't have. We're saying, give us this thing. So when we see prayers like this, we shouldn't be intimidated by what we're asking for. Uh, actually the opposite, it's, oh, well, you know, I might not have that. I'm acknowledging I need you to make a way where there seems to be no way. One thing um, that you said here, and then I heard you say it a couple of weeks ago, um, is you were talking about how the Advent season is not only about the coming of Christ, but it's also about his second coming. And, um, and I, I, have, I have to say that kind of gave me pause because I'm, we're always, as a culture and as a church, so focused on Christ's initial birth in mm-hmm. terms of his first coming versus his second coming. Yeah, and I was wondering what would that look like in our Advent season to be more focused on not only his birth but also his son Yeah, economy? and that's like, just what sorry. would that look like. No, that's just it. It's it's really hard to hold two things in your mind at the same time, right? I mean, it's hard for me. Maybe it's not for you. Um, but really, what's what's distinctive about the Advent season? Because right, we have a Christmas season. We have 12 days of Christmas. We have multiple Sundays of Christmas uh, in the larger world, which is uh, mostly doesn't have a liturgical calendar. We think of Christmas as one day, yeah. uh, but the, it has its own season and emphasis. The Advent season being this thing where we do two things at once. We look back to his invasion of the cosmos, his finished work, right? in his birth, death, resurrection. But what I think is special about Advent is it's not just something back then that was done and then it's well maybe we'll see this one day but we look back to look forward. If Christ has invaded the cosmos, if he is actively making right what has gone wrong, this means that for those of us in between times we have hope that when he comes again all will be made right that in the midst of our lives where we suffer, where we do terrible things, things that oftentimes we we say we want to quit and we just can't quit, um, our hope is that the finished work of Christ and his first coming will come to fruition, will be realized. So yes, we look back and we're happy that God's work is accomplished. And yet, I mean, I don't know about you, but. I have all kinds of frustrations and disappointments and uh, I don't know if you guys have seen uh, Guermel del Toro's uh, new movie, Pinocchio. He's the one who did Pan's Labyrinth and The Shape of Water Oscar award-winning... Is that one on Netflix? It's on Netflix, yep. Uh, and most of his movies are... There's kind of a darkness to them, but it's. Um, it, they don't leave you in despair. Um, so he redoes Pinocchio and in it he focuses in on... Geppetto and how Geppetto's creation of Pinocchio was all out of grief because he had lost a son Uh, and I'm sure you know people maybe you yourself have lost a son or daughter and what could be worse than that? Um, Advent is allows us to ask the question. All right, God has come in Jesus and his work is done and yet, why do terrible things still happen? Uh, we are told that God is with us in the midst of that. We are told that God will save us from that. But if Christmas were the only thing, if His first coming were the only thing, well then, it, maybe it's good news, but is it, is it really? Because we are still caught up in this world where things don't always go our way. So we really, in this season, are looking for. Forward to the inbreaking when He sets things to right. I don't know if that answers your question, but that's kind of like my apology for the Advent no, season. No, it was a, there was a great comment, and um, it, it just never—I hadn't really focused on His second coming as part of the Advent season, and it makes sense just in terms of like the liturgical calendar. So yeah, and when the, do we celebrate it? It, it? It's what makes present to us. These passages where we read, "Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down," that kind of desperate plea. All of our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. This is not just the people of Israel for His first coming, saying and praying these things. This is for us as well, because the canon is for us now too. Uh, you had a question? Uh, just a random comment yeah. to try to follow the thread. I- a member of the clergy told me once that the song joy to the world was actually written to be sung at easter and not at christmas and yet traditionally we sing it at christmas and i could never sing or hear that song <laughs> without thinking "It's so I'll, yeah, up, yeah. I'll ruin it for everyone but no 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 i could, I trying to kind of connect the yeah two. that's no I, I think th- i, think, I think that that's right that said at the same time it's the reason why we celebrate christmas and we rejoice and Oh come, all ye faithful! Might be my favorite hymn, let alone Christmas hymn, but it—it it is the invasion has begun there. The invasion, on some level, is complete in his death and resurrection, and yet we are looking for the fruition. So that's why we saw that we can celebrate Christmas with as much gusto as Easter, because it's his whole life is his work. Uh, I think that's the justification for, for singing it there as well. Uh, yeah, I think there were there, others. There well, my, this is sort of an oversimplification that I'm just going to go down there. You were talking about, you know, some days it's just good enough to put one foot in front of the other. I would say most days, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, do you think, I've, I've thought a lot about this. Do you think at our day of reckoning or judgment or whatever you think the Lord's going to go, my good and faithful servant, you tried. You didn't do. You did little things. <laughs> you said, "Hey, to somebody at church." I mean, I, I don't yeah. know how's it going to work. Yeah. You don't have to like be on every committee and do yeah, yeah, for every single thing. So I don't, I don't want to take the gravity away from He is coming again to judge the living and the dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, think about whenever angels encounter humans in the scriptures. What's the first thing they say? Be afraid. Don't be afraid. So they don't look like the Hallmark cards. They're not babies in clouds. Like The messengers of God are terrifying. Because in some level, as we see, right? Because in the scriptures at times, like in one sentence it's talking about an angel of the Lord, but then it seems like it's like God speaking. They're, you're encountering God. And what do people do? They fall on their knees. They, they become afraid. Um, not because... God is bad, but because God is holy, God is other. God is, we want to be like that, but we are not like that. We are caught in where we're at. Um, But, so with that said, I wanna, he's coming again, there's gravity, and his whole, his coming again is to make a way out of no way, is to make right what has gone wrong. So, we should take no delight in participating in what's gone wrong or what's going wrong but at the same time i think the good news of the gospel is that god and jesus took the final judgment upon himself so it's not about was i on have i been on enough committees or have i done enough and i know you're not saying that yeah uh and a whole lot of times when we're asking those kind of questions it's I think the the pastoral thing for us, I'm not saying just for pastors to say, is just the fact that you have these questions. I mean, the Holy Spirit's at work. Um, And we see that from the very beginning of the Bible when God cares about the relationship. He cast Adam and Eve out of the garden because they were there in a state of sin, which would have been like living in hell. I mean, to be attached to the sin and still getting the full grace around you and in order for the relationship to work you have to go out into the world and we can't hmm. fix the sin that we've already done only god can do that yeah uh, the trying matters yeah the relationship matters yeah yeah and that we see Sorry. that right in the reading today i mean i guess maybe the name is a little different because the pageant but the part of What's hard is like we know these stories so well that we don't like, they don't hit us in fresh ways, but when Mary is visited by the angel, when Joseph is told by the angel, uh, it's not what you think. It's not adultery. God is, has done a new thing. He's made a way out of no way. We see that throughout the scriptures, right? Creation out of nothing. The Israelites are against the waters, and God creates, he saves. Uh, The matriarchs are barren. There's no human potential way forward, and God is making that way. Jesus is dead. God has brought Jesus to life. Uh, The virgin birth, same idea. God is doing something that we couldn't. And you said it, I think, well there. Uh, Once we have sinned, we say we're sorry. Hopefully we're repentant. But we can't undo what we've done. We can't make right what has gone wrong. God does that. Somehow, like in the virgin conception, creation out of nothing... Life from death, God is going to undo all that we've done. And it's because it's not just about personal sin, it's about, you might say, corporate sin or the powers of sin and death. God is going to undo that, those things that we can't control. I think that's good news. So, part of why I like Advent so much. Uh, did anybody? I thought I saw another hand, but yeah. Mentioned Fleming Rutledge, Revol- Revol- she has become sort of Advent authority since her book. And um, <laughs> there, someone asking her on Twitter what type of book they, she would recommend for Advent reading. And she recommended a lot of really dark, dire things. Like *The Road* was one of them. Um, Cormac McCarthy. And, yeah. And yeah, her, her, her quote was, you know, "Advent is not for sissies." Uh, and I just thought that her, you know, she kind of highlighted if you don't embrace that darkness um, that we're in. Um, or if you do embrace it, then the, the brightness of the Advent season will become even brighter. I think that's exactly right. I, what I don't think she's trying to do, um, or what the lectionary creators or the people who said we need to really focus in on Advent, is to destroy your joy. In fact, it's the exact opposite. And maybe, and you know, there are personality differences. Uh, maybe some people are just naturally optimistic. Uh, and, and that's great. Um, I think we can be optimistic, or better, have hope. Because we look at things like the movie *Pinocchio*, like a father grieving the loss of his son. Not all of us have that experience. Praise God, uh, but you have had something in your life that has gone wrong, where you've suffered, uh, and and thankfully, hopefully, you've gotten over those things. I mean, do we ever get over it entirely? I don't know. But the the message of of Advent is that there will be a day when somehow all that's, gonna, that's gone wrong will be undone, will be reversed. We, it's hard to even fathom that, but again, it's in line with creation from nothing, the people of God being delivered, a virgin birth, resurrection from the dead. Uh, if that's not real hope, not simply, you know, sentimental optimism in the midst of oblivion. Yeah. Here we have those of you who are glass half full people or, or full people, all the more reason to rejoice. And when bad stuff happens, again, I don't want to minimize grief by any means. I think what Advent means is that we can, you don't have to fast forward grief. You can read things where things don't go right. To put mildly. Uh, But we are prisoners of hope in the midst of a world of suffering, of joy and light, but also the darkness too. So anybody else have anything? No, that was great. Or you can say why you don't like Advent, that's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But yeah, no oh well we went perfect timing, so um, yeah, if you want to check out Advent 4, I wrote something about it for the Adventurer. And then Paul Zoll has a, a great book, if you're familiar with him at all, on the Advent Collects, But why don't we pray one more time, and then I'll let you go. Um, yeah, let's just pray the first one. Almighty God, give us grace to cast away the works of darkness and to put on the armor of light. Now in the time of this mortal life. In which your Son, Jesus Christ, came to visit us in great humility, that in the last day, when he shall come again in his glorious majesty to judge both the living and the dead, we may rise to the life immortal through him who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.